Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. I'm Dan Humiston, and on today's show, this double threat baron is combining her family's five generations of farming experience and her nonprofit expertise to demonstrate to the hemp industry that you can do good business and do good simultaneously. Let's join Joy's conversation with Farmer C from Green Hefa Farms. Well, C of Green Hefa Farms, thank you so much for being with us today on Hemp Errands. I am absolutely thrilled. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're the ones who are thrilled. You are bringing with you to this emerging hemp industry, this promising, versatile, valuable plant, not only farming experience, but award-winning nonprofit fundraising and professional marketing experience and a love for the environment. And most importantly to me, a deep commitment to social equity. And I see here that you are, in fact, North Carolina's first Black woman-owned organic farm and retreat center with a social equity focus. And I think we can all agree there is simply not enough diversity and color in hemp. So thank you for being with us today. And see who is fully known as Clarenda Stanley. Can you tell us first, just talk about the focus that we have here at Green Heifer Farms on social equity? Sure. So when we started Green Heifer Farms, and Green Heifer was originally started with myself and my then spouse, who is no longer with the company, we knew going into it that it was going to be based on social principles. And so those four principles are dubbed the four E's, and that's economic empowerment, equity, education, and the environment, all of which are very important to me personally. And so working in the environmental space and prior to that, spending pretty much all of my professional life working for nonprofit causes that mean a lot. I know that you can do good business and do good simultaneously. It's not an either or, and that one does not have to sacrifice profit in order to benefit the community and benefit society at large. So because philanthropy is very important to me because social responsibility is very important to me, I never wanted to find myself in that race for just making money, making money, making money. Working in the fundraising arena and getting to know so many philanthropists and seeing what joy giving gave to people, people who have accomplished just tremendous things professionally and have been CEOs of Fortune 10 companies, et cetera, to see the joy that they receive from giving that giving is more of a gift to them than it is to the beneficiaries. You know, I've always, always really have fed off of that energy. And while I am by no means a major philanthropist, I do give a a considerable portion of the monies I receive because I think that's really how we move forward. And I saw him as being not only this catalyst for the agricultural movement, I saw it as being really a catalyst for change. You know, coming from originally from Alabama, I make the fifth generation of farmers and my uh, my family on my mother's side. And just growing up, knowing the disparities that existed in agriculture and seeing how hard it was for farmers of color 
to be able to advance everything from acquiring capital for needed equipment or infrastructure improvements on their farm to even being able to acquire land was always just that much more difficult if you were black or brown. And knowing with him. And indeed, we're seeing, you know, in various states or even at the federal level where that can be problematic. We had to fight, of course, in the beginning of Florida. And 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 that was to make sure, you know, initial rules that were coming out. And this was on, you know, adult use and medical cannabis some years ago. But it would have made the criteria to be eligible to even be uh, enter that beautiful opportunity where you had to have a certain amount of money, you had to have owned land for a certain amount of years. And I think when they did the stats on that, there wasn't a single African-American who would have been eligible to participate. That's you know something we see on a state level that I believe that has somewhat been corrected. And as I'm sure you're well aware, there was a compromise made in the Farm Bill of 2018. And indeed, it was revolutionary, included the tribes. We're so happy about that. But there was some contention, I believe, within the Judicial Committee, which is where this bill could have died or this this negotiation or these amendments could have died and this negotiation could have ended, where they wanted to remove our expanded definition of hemp to include extracts, cannabinoids, derivatives, isomers, salts of isomers, so on and so forth. And that compromise resulted in a ban on folks who have had a felony drug conviction within the last 10 years would not be able and are not as it sits today unless they are grandfathered in through another state program. So they have an existing agricultural pilot program license from participating in this opportunity for hemp. And as we know, drug felony convictions are a result of the failed drug war and who has been the most impacted by the failed drug war and those failed policies. It is people of color. So, so uh, I know that the HIA and others sent in public comments there, but we're still going to have to to deal with that. So our, our first, I wanted to go back to, are you seeing philanthropists pricking their ears up over hemp? I'm sure that you have fundraised for a number of social equity and, and other and potentially environmental causes in the past. Are you seeing folks being receptive to donate towards this cause as it relates to hemp or hemp farming and the hemp industry? And then also, are you seeing already immediate challenges with folks who want to get into the hemp industry but cannot or already know that they're going to have a barrier to entry because of a drug felony conviction in the last 10 years? Sure. So what I'm actually seeing more so than philanthropy are people who are interested in investing in the industry from the social investment, social impact investment side. So these are your more, your people who are looking for a return on investment, maybe not as, as an aggressive return if it were not a social impact endeavor, but still they are looking for a win-win situation, providing the needed resources and capital, and then being able to also receive some some revenue, um, some return on their investment. So that's exciting. And with opportunities such as economic opportunity zones, which have not traditionally, um, even though that's relatively new, 
hasn't traditionally benefited entrepreneurs, communities of color, farmers of color. I see that as an opportunity as well. So I've been having that conversation on the hemp side with people who may be interested in taking advantage of those opportunities. As far as people facing challenges, absolutely. Here in North Carolina, it's not just a 10-year ban if you have had a felony drug conviction, but in North Carolina, you can't apply for a license if you have any felony conviction, period. So that's even furthermore creating an obstacle for many people who may actually have been affected specifically by the laws against cannabis use and what it did to communities, particularly those of color. Some of the obstacles that people are facing are the ones I'm sure you've heard as well. Challenges with, especially if they're going into the CBD or nutraceutical side, challenges with startup. You know, it's not cheap to enter this industry on the production side if you're actually looking to grow, which is the area that I'm really focused on is the actual production. So the cost of entry are definitely barriers and just understanding the various rules and regulations, even though hemp is federally legal, you know, each state is still allowed to develop its own individual laws as they pertain to hemp. So you really need to be pretty knowledgeable if you plan on engaging in any interstate commerce. So that learning curve as well. And then in tax law as well, of course, we've been trying to tell folks for a number of years since the 2014 Farm Bill, federally legal. And of course, it was legal under state agricultural pilot programs and institutions of higher learning and now federally legal as an agricultural commodity. The reality is federally legal is not the same as legal in all 50 states. And most of my clients on the oil, seed and fiber side are attorneys. I used to work, you know, in mostly extracts, but I'm now in addition to president of the Hemp Industries Association and those other nonprofits. I'm also the regulatory officer and industry liaison for Elixinol. So my extract mine, it belongs to Elixinol now, but dealing with this patchwork of 46 states, uh, although South Dakota does have a law, of course, making cannabidiol a scheduled, a scheduled drug. But other than that, you know, we've got Idaho, Mississippi, and South Dakota with no hemp laws at all. New Hampshire, with no growing program, you know, they passed a lot of study hemp, but nothing yet to actually put seeds in the ground. So it's not the same as federally legal. It's not the same as legal in all 50 states. And the amount of investment that it takes, not only to deal with the hemp law and policy aspects of it and how that might intertwine with other existing public health laws and crime laws and medical and adult use cannabis laws, but tax laws and then FDA compliance on top of that, which is, you know, such yes. a, a thing to have to navigate. So it requires yes. resources. Is that then sort of the infrastructure that you are building? Do you have a nonprofit in addition to Green Half of Farms or is Green Half of Farms, in fact, a nonprofit for the fundraising? No. Um, so my fundraising life is purely with my role with the Nature Conservancy. So any fundraising ah. with Green Half of Farms, yes, <laughs> any fundraising with Green Half of Farms is purely from an investment or investing in a for-profit entity, I should say. So yeah, in my in my other my other hat, I am a full-time fundraiser for the Nature Conservancy as well as running Green Half of Farms because you know who needs sleep. <laughs> <laughs> 
apparently at We'll day. sleep when we're dead. You know, I'm interested well, if you, you want know, something done, exactly. ask the busiest person you know. Exactly. And so just speaking on that infrastructure piece, it's having conversations as well with local government. We get very caught up with federal, what's happening at the federal level, but it's really what's happening at our local level that impacts us from day to day. And North Carolina in, in particular, you know, we once were a tremendous textile producer and a lot of people really looked at hemp as being an opportunity to really provide some energy and reinvigorate our textile industry. But we don't have the resources to process within our state or very limited resources to process. And I'm hearing from other farmers in other states who are interested in growing cultivars that are more suited for the textile and fiber arena or for true industrial uses say the same thing. And those facilities are very expensive to develop. So, and for many communities who are a bit distrustful of going to any type of government or law enforcement agency, et cetera, is even that much more challenging. So really getting mm-hmm. our local government to the table so they can truly understand the economic development capacity that this plant um, has and, and can create. We're asking investors to invest in an infrastructure for which there is you know, only a little bit of biomass because most people are growing for extracts. And then we're asking farmers to grow biomass for which there is very little infrastructure when we're talking about oil, seed and fiber. But one foot in front of the other, we're getting it done. When we talk about folks that are distrusting because they have been underserved, uh, because they have in many ways been improperly served, how that affects the agricultural community, how that affects farming. I'd love to just hear some more on that and share that with the listeners. Yeah. So one of the conversations I have with the Nature Conservancy is about scale versus impact. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. when there have been programs benefit the agricultural sector, it has been based on scale. So you're looking at those ranchers, those pastoralists, those farmers that have these mega farms. And oftentimes the smaller farmer is left out of the conversation. So they're not getting the same information on the importance of regenerative agriculture and how, you know, a plant like hemp can benefit your soil health, which in turn, actually has positive business outcomes as well. Even if the environmental benefits don't necessarily float your boat, nobody is farming just for the heck of it. Everybody is farming to produce something to hopefully have a commodity that the market wants and can provide them some remuneration for. And so for me, having that conversation with the largest environmental organization in the world to say, hey, We have to also focus on impact and make sure that these best practices are being taken to the small farmer just as well as to that big mega farmer. Because, you know, currently in the United States, 96 percent of all privately owned farmland is owned by white farmers. So that leaves people of color, Mm. farmers of color to be, you know, scrambling over this 4 percent. What if we were to empower small farmers across the board? 
with the necessary tools that they need so that their farm can increase in productivity in a way that's environmentally responsible so that they can benefit from some of these programs that exist out here that help with conservation that many aren't aware of. It, it can be challenging, um, under, you know, navigating through the labyrinth of, of, of federal programs and red tape and bureaucracy. So another challenge is just getting the information to the people and also ensuring that some of these private organizations that have such a dearth of information are making this information accessible so that anyone, regardless of the size of their farm or the, uh, the size of their enterprise, is able to really benefit from it and understand that taking care of the planet, taking care of the earth, can actually be good for your bottom line. So I seek to be okay. that voice. That we can increase yield, that we can yes. create and grow more vibrant crops, whether that's a higher nutritional yes. profile or a higher cannabinoid profile or, a, or yes. a higher tensile strength and cover surface area on the fiber side. And to think that, the, that we can build the soil, improve the planet and increase and improve our bottom line at the same time, delivering that to the small farmer and to communities of color. And, and I see that Green Heifer Farms does that 10 ways from Sunday, including you sell a video and you have events. And I want to make sure that we're also talking. I bet we'll go right back to social equity and environment in a second because you and I, that's our passion. (laughs) That's our passion. Yes, I want to make sure I also talk about your company and what you're doing. Yeah. And, and so can we talk about those events and what you're growing sure. and, and what you do for a living at Green Heifer Farms, sister? Sure. So I consider myself the CEO of Green Heifer Farms <laughs> and I assumed sole responsibility this year. And I will admit it was a bit daunting. My focus on the enterprise initially had been more on the business side. The The beautiful but can also be challenging thing about hemp is that we're not just talking about agriculture here. We're talking about agriculture. We're talking about horticulture. We're talking about entrepreneurship and agribusiness and a host of other areas that intersect to create this this budding emerging industry. And so I was more on the business side. I was a social media person, the marketing person, the PR person. And then when changes happened within the company this year and I became the sole authority person, I realized that I was in a very vulnerable position because while I knew the basics of growing, um, I was not as knowledgeable as I felt I should have been. So I've been really aggressively um, learning more and more about the actual cultivation of the plant and specifically how to grow organically and sustainably. So the goal for Green Heifer Farms is to be a model for how to grow hemp along with other crops as well. I'm looking into other medicinal herbs because I am very big on crop rotation and crop diversification as best practices in sustainable agriculture. And so how can I create a model where people are able to actually come and see and touch and feel how to do it and how to do it in a way that's economically responsible, but economically feasible? That's what I'm doing at Green Heifer Farms. I have an e-course out called Big Hemping that really is about setting the foundation 
how to get into small farming for full spectrum hemp and really focusing on that nutraceutical market. And I will actually be launching on my birthday, October 14th, So Green Society, so S-O-W, and that is specifically for women who are interested in growing hemp on a small scale, as well as maybe they're interested in complementing that with other medicinal herbs. Because I do encourage people to not think monocrop mentality. So I'll be launching that, yeah, in October and getting more women at the table, really encouraging women of color to join um, join the movement because you know, growing up on the farm, I always looked at farm work as being like almost like forced labor. It, honestly, it was too close to slavery, in my opinion. It was hot. I'm out here working mm-hmm. hard. My grandparents didn't pay me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. When, yeah. when I was old enough to leave, I'm like, show me the city lights. Um, but now... <laughs> Coming back to the farm and, you know, walking with barefoot with soil under my feet and checking to see if I have earthworms and, you know, I'm looking for beneficial pests out on the farm. It's a totally different, totally different mindset, 360, where I've just come full circle and see how rewarding it is and teaching young people about all the possibilities. You know, hemp brings plant science. Hemp brings, you know, we need people who know how to grow. We need people who know how to run extraction facilities. We need young people who have, who can bring that innovation to the market, to, to the industry. Like, what can we do with this plant? We, we say we have 25,000 known uses. I feel that that number should be quadrupled. Um, as far as what we can do <laughs> with the plant. So I really want to create a Green Huffer Farms. I want it to be an incubation for innovation and where people can come. The The total vision will actually be where I have the, the tiny hempcrete homes where people can come and stay and spend a week and learn, you know, from top horticulturists and learn from top entrepreneurs and business-minded people and learn from skilled farmers. And it doesn't necessarily always have to mean that person that has 19 letters behind their name. One of the most brilliant farmers and agriculturalists that I know happens to be someone who didn't finish the 10th grade and it could put any botanist to shame. So I really want it to be also a diversity of intellectual capacity. A real hub, a demonstration and educational hub. And we love that. Hemp, hemp is inspiring folks to, to do these things. And just thank you so much for hearing that call. And boy, when you want to do something with Hemp Creed, I sure hope that you'll call me, gal. I, you know, I do the instruction with Hemp Technologies, which built those first permanent Hemp Creed homes in the United States. And where did we do it? We did it in North Carolina. And so uh, it's I my favorite right. place to go for workshops. In Asheville, one in Asheville and one for the mayor of Asheville, who still lives in in his home. But I will be there in a heartbeat. And I'm just so excited to just get started with you and bring you in on to the extent you have bandwidth. And I know I'm I'm a gal with massive stream bandwidth, too. But gal, there are some platforms that we just need your influence. We need your brain on. And and that brings me to how can people, the public, 
support the work that you do, whether it's through for Green Heifer Farms or the Nature Conservancy. And by the way, that's for fundraising for your nonprofit endeavors for the Nature Conservancy, but even investment opportunities and how we can support you at Green Heifer Farms. Could you let us know a little yeah. bit about that? Well, always I can let you know how to support. Yes, so I will actually be launching a fundraising effort in um, on my birthday. Everything happens on my birthday, which is October 14th. Yay. And so I will be launching a public fundraising round and that will be specifically to help build capacity and be able to scale Greenhouse Farms so that I am really able to expand how many people I'm able to um, touch. And so that will be happening if you follow me on any of my social media. You can look across the board for Green Heffa, H-E-F-F-A, the correct way to spell it in the South, Farms. You'll find me or you can find me under Pharmacy on any platforms as well. So if you connect with me there or if you go to my website, greenheffafarms.com, you'll find all the information that you need. And yeah, I would love to have some support, especially for harvest season 2019. I have a little something special planned. So if you connect with me, then you'll be the first to know what is going on in that arena. And of course, for nature, the Nature Conservancy, nature.org is the website. We have tons of opportunity to be engaged, not only in philanthropically, but we have just this tremendous wealth of preserves around the country that provide so many tangible experiences with nature. We encourage people to go out and actually touch what is ours collectively and know that the health of our planet is all of our responsibility and all of these things that we allow to divide us are so trivial. (laughs) And the thing that really unites us is that we are all inhabitants of this earth and we have responsibility to take care of it. So check out nature.org and you will see a wealth of information on the work that the Conservancy is doing. And see, Stanley, and an obligation to take care of each other. I am so inspired by you. All hair standing on end. Total Uh, goosebumps. I cannot wait wait to work with you more sister and i'm just and i'm thrilled that this is the way we got to meet each other just i awesome. know how cool Please, is this the stars align so cool so cool and we're just getting started girl listeners please let's throw our support uh behind green Heifer farms behind the nature conservancy at nature.org and to be more mindful of inclusivity and to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to include in our marketing plan, in our employee plans, in our advocacy efforts, in everything that we do, the underserved, the underprivileged, and and let's let's do this thing together. And you know we can because you know we're doing it, see? Yes, we are better together. Absolutely. And I'm going to be in touch with you on that hemp free aspect. So Good. consider yourself partnered. <laughs> Absolutely. I am looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. Farmer C, thank you so much for being with us today uh, on Hemp Barons. And I, I'm looking forward to our next encounter, girl. Thank you. And thank you for being such a force in this industry and for being such a badass baron. So this is awesome. <laughs> Takes one to know one, sister. Thank you again and have such a great rest of the week.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.